As one of the scourges of the countryside, hair coursing returns, causing damage, animal cruelty, threats and intimidation, the CLA is demanding action and has produced a five-point plan, including... Seizing vehicles and ensuring compensation is paid to the landowner for any damage caused. A couple of weeks ago, we heard about the NFU's Doing Our Bit for Net Zero project. Today, we'll hear from one Lincolnshire farmer who's doing his bit and find out how. Our emissions over the last year have dropped enormously because we shan't have any emissions from our electric input. And of course, Sean Sparling has some timely agronomy advice. Kit Dickinson from Openfield looks at the markets and we'll see what the weather has in store for us this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good week. Let's start with a look at the headlines from the week. Who can forget the scenes around steeping near Wainfleet last year? Thousands of acres of farmland underwater, scores of houses and businesses flooded, many, many lives affected. Back in May, I spoke to Robert Cordwell, chair of the steering group of the Steeping Action Plan. They had a plan to prevent those dreadful scenes being repeated. Five months on, and I'm pleased to say there's progress. Robert, good morning. What's the latest? Yeah, well, um, literally in the last few days, um, we've seen part of um, some defilting or dredging works on the river steeping uh, using what we call the suction dredger. Uh, This is um, a machine that's come over from uh, the Netherlands and uh, works in, in the river itself, so it's not operating from the banks, it's working in the river to take silt out. And what we're doing is um, taking the high spots. So we surveyed the river to see where the high spots of, river, uh, of silt were in the river to make sure that um, those are the areas that we thought um, were, well, we knew that we're actually holding back um, flow of the river and they're also allowing um, reeds to grow right across the centre of the channel which is also uh, impeding flow. So what we're doing is taking out uh, those areas um, which is a substantial amount of um, silt. It's not just a, a bit here and a bit there. There's a substantial amount of work to be done uh, over the uh, so the Suction dredge will be working over the next couple of years, uh, and then in the third year there will be some works uh, to do with the um, ponds that we've created where the material from the river uh, is then going to allow to be settled, and that material is being tested and it will be able to be spread back onto agricultural land. Well, it's a long-term project, but great to hear that Phase 1's underway. Robert, thanks for joining us on the programme. Absolutely fine. Lovely to talk to you, Steve. Growers of linseed seed can protect the quality and yield of their crops thanks to the emergency authorisation of a desiccant. The withdrawal of diquat and glyphosate not being usable had left growers with no chemical option, but the AHDB has secured the OK for Carfentrazone Ethyl Spotlight Plus. Yorkshire Waters put an 84-hectare holding up for tender as part of an initiative to support young farmers. Scohall Farm in the Washburn Valley will be let for five years next month as part of the Beyond Nature scheme, which supports tenant farmers to deliver sustainable land management. The water company is aiming to support new entrants who may not otherwise have the opportunity but do have some knowledge of farming. 
interested, email beyondnature at yorkshirewater.co.uk. Now, hair coursing is not a subject that's new to the farming programme, sadly, and it's when the fields are bare that the dogs and the 4x4s make their annual return to cause havoc and nuisance. The Country Land and Business Association, the CLA, have put together a five-point plan, seeking help from the government and other rural organisations to tackle the problem. The CLA's Alison Provis joins us. Alison, what's the CLA proposing? Five things on our action plan. The first being to introduce specific sentencing guidelines for hair coursing. Currently, the sentences for hair coursing are using guidelines that aren't specific to hair coursing. So having guidelines which are tailored to hair coursing would mean that the impact uh, on the hair courses would be much greater because it would be specific to them. For example, seizing vehicles and ensuring compensation is paid to the landowner for any damage caused. So what kind of sentence would somebody who's hair coursing expect to receive at the moment then? So at the moment, a lot of it is to do with fines and we're just seeing that the fines just aren't uh, sort of reflecting the activity, the, the criminal activity of, the, um, of hair coursing. So at the moment, the fines are sort of in the tens and hundreds of pounds. And with the betting levels in the thousands, it's just not a deterrent for them. Speaking to Chief Inspector Phil Vickers of Lincolnshire Police a few weeks ago, he was talking about getting orders to seize the dogs as well. Yeah, that's correct. So Lincolnshire Police, uh, uh, Chief Inspector Phil Vickers is the rebel lead for Lincolnshire. And we work with him very closely on Operation Galileo, which is the hair coursing operation. And over the last few years, they have been seizing dogs, and that has proved extremely uh, positive. Okay, and what's number two? So the second uh, action we're asking for is to provide resources to the National Wildlife Crime Unit. So that's providing um, funding uh, and resources for them to be able to treat this uh, as a priority which it deserves and to fulfil its uh, ambition of being a centralised capacity for intelligence collection. So I guess one of the big problems is catching the little devils, really, isn't it? It is, yeah, absolutely. And it's important that, you know, police uh, forces across the country that are affected are given the resources to be able to do that. So that's what we're also campaigning for. Okay. And number three? Thirdly, is to strengthen legislation. As I was saying before, the the fines that people are seeing, it's just not enough to be a deterrent for, uh, for, for these crimes. So uh, we want the ability for police forces to be able to reclaim the cost of kenneling, for example, of confiscated dogs uh, if a conviction uh, is secured because that's uh, a big uh, cost that the police have to stamp up. And if we can combat that, that would obviously help the police, uh, help get the police resource there to combat that. Okay. now, again, speaking to Phil Vickers some weeks ago, he was saying if you get any evidence you've got to see anything call 999 but there's also the 101 call line isn't yeah there? there is absolutely so that's our fourth call so the 101 helpline we're asking for additional training to be given to the call handlers so that when somebody calls in with uh, a report of hair coursing they understand the crime know what it's about and then they can help the police prioritize their investigations on that crime accordingly um i would just also add that if you are calling 999 please do so from a safe location yeah absolutely don't get involved uh, these these no. are not not nice people are they to say the least these no unfortunately not no intimidation threatening behavior and violence are commonplace we've had members uh, who have suffered uh, at the hands of these culprits so yes please do make sure you are in a safe place okay number five seems to be looking at preventing them do it again isn't it 
It is, yeah. So it's about flagging up uh, on the police systems that uh, who these people are and the vehicles they're using so that uh, when they're sort of um, encountered again, that they are being flagged as repeated culprits and therefore the penalties that they face uh, increase accordingly and they're not just treated as isolated incidents as and when they're caught, which is, which is very important because, you know, repeat offending is, is commonplace and this is one way that we can combat that. And of course, we're just really coming into the season now, aren't we, post-harvest? We are post-harvest absolutely right through at sort of March time. Um, this year, we saw them coming straight in after the combines. So even earlier, sort of July, I was speaking to a member only last week uh, who said that mid-July they were on their, their estate. Uh, they've erected barriers, uh, dug miles of trenches and locked countless gates. Um, and they still come on a daily basis. And this, this year it was, it was earlier than normal. So, yeah, uh, definitely an annual problem, which is a blight on the rural communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this is your action plan to combat hair coursing. Where, what are you doing with this action plan? Who are you taking it to? So we've been um, making all of the MPs aware and um, lobbying with government. We, we're working with lots of the other rural organisations to bring this to the attention of government to make sure that they are prioritising it as it should be um, in their budget reviews, etc., and making sure that it gets the attention uh, it deserves and to get the legislation changes that we need to, to resolve this issue. Thank you to the CLA's Alison Provis. Good luck with the campaign. Time for agronomy now. Morning, Sean. Any thoughts on preventing the scourge of hair coursing from you? Yeah, very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying for years that I think every farmer in the country should buy themselves a drone because as soon as you get hair courses on your land or anybody else up to no good, if you bung a drone up in the air, not only do you get very, very high quality detailed images that are useful for the police in identifying these people, but these people don't know whether it's the landowner who's put a drone up, whether it's the police who are looking at them, and they tend to just pack up and move on. And if everybody had a drone, we would keep moving them on until they ended up where they started from which to be frank is the best place for them right let's get on to well the weather i suppose we've got to start with the weather a wet end to september just like last year but unlike last year i ended up with 18 mil here over the last 10 days or so and not the 67 millimeters in the last seven days of september 2019 now 2019 autumn that was the first time in my 32 years as an agronomist that i've seen winter wheat and winter barley not drilled. I think we were less than 15% of the winter cereal crops went in the ground on my patch and up here in Lincolnshire last year. So therefore it's not a normal event. It's panic drilling as if last autumn is now the new normal. It's probably just being a little bit on the paranoid side. We're always going to get rain. It is October now. We're always going to get rain. So just don't panic and don't make too big a thing out of it. It's all the usual suspects of course who are out there drilling into some very suspect fields in September into black grassland so I can't say that I'm particularly surprised about that and as long as they're made aware of the risks and anybody who's drilling at this time of year into black grassland are aware of the risks and the potential implications of the lack of black grass control that we're going to achieve and the risk from BYDV etc then that's all we can do as advisors. Seed rates if you are going drilling now that we're pushing through into October you should be starting in the first week with about 225 plants a square meter as your target 250 plants in the second week 275 plants in the third week ending up as you push into november with about 300
300 plants a square metre is your target. Winter barley, somewhere between 325 and 350 plants per square metre would be the optimum. And remember that pre-emergence herbicides are absolutely crucial and it is vital that you get them on within three or four days at the outside of drilling because the black grass will put its roots down as soon as the, the cultivators and the drill go through these fields you get a flash of UV light that's enough with the warm conditions and the wet conditions we've got to trigger that black grass to germinate and once it starts to root those roots move down very very quickly if you haven't got a layer of herbicide around that seed as it puts its roots down, you just will not stop it. There will be no stopping it. And remember, the seed really wants to be 40 mil deep and well covered because we're relying on selectivity by depth protection for a lot of these herbicides. Triolate as well. If you're going to use something like Avidex Excel, you need a good seed bed because it's a granule that goes straight to gas. It's called sublimation. It doesn't go through a liquid phase. It needs a good, even, firm seed bed to soak into if it's knotty and open it's just going to go up into the air and volatilize and remember that prosulfocarb diflufenicant aclonifen triallate pendamethylin flufenicet all of these products are very very useful in the fight against blackgrass but the only really truly reliable spray that controls blackgrass in winter wheat winter barley oilseed rape winter beans etc etc is glyphosate before you put the crop in the ground so making the most of those stale seed beds is crucial. And now we're just pushing into that germination period of blackgrass, the first two or three weeks of October. Historically, this is when blackgrass starts to grow. And we've seen that in spades this year. It really is starting to move thick and fast now out in the field. This next two or three weeks are blackgrass period. So all of those stale seed beds are crucial. Play the percentages game. You usually have to wait for that which is worth waiting for. So don't go charging in. Winter oilseed rape, cabbage stem flea beetle, localised damage out there is quite severe in place but it's not even close to resembling just how widespread and vicious that damage was this time last year. In fact, October 2019 saw huge numbers, so do remain alert to those cabbage stem flea beetle adults. They could still appear yet, and they can still do some significant damage. Disease levels very, very low out there in oilseed rape. It's looking good in general, which is absolutely bizarre, and who'd have thought I'd be saying that? So, two or three things to remember. Firstly, patience is a virtue, possess it if you can. Seldom found in women, never found in man, particularly farmers and those who drill wheat too early into known black grass fields consume on average in a year one and a half times their own body weight in their agronomist patients don't forget that we're only trying to help you don't blame us if the weather turns wet and we stop you from drilling and ruining your next year's harvest by shoving it into land which we know will come full of black grass so for the next seven days steve i'm going to watch the weather and i will be mostly making the most of the swallows still being here good morning Good morning, and thanks as ever, Sean. If you want to contact Sean, his website is sasagronomy.co.uk. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Lincolnshire's Jack Buck Farms are one of 26 farms across the UK taking part in the NFU's Doing Our Bit for Net Zero project. A couple of weeks ago, we heard about it from NFU Deputy President Stuart Roberts. Today, let's hear from Robin Buck about what they're doing on the farm to do their bit. Robin, firstly, what do you produce at Jack Buck Farms? Our main drivers are celeriac, potatoes 
and daffodils. We also grow a range of other crops. We grow fennel, squash and sugar beet and wheat, of course, peas and onions. We're about 10 crops rotating on, on our land. And your biggest problem then in terms of carbon emissions, greenhouse gases and so on, really is from the electricity bills from the storage. Is that right? Well, it isn't. It isn't. Um, the storage, uh, we, we have been able to mitigate that a bit with solar panels and we've just got a new system, a new array up and running now. And that will be about 20% of our electric, we hoping, will be from solar that's good. And the other thing is we have just gone over uh, last year, we went to a, a 100% renewable supply. So technically, our emissions over the last year have dropped enormously because we shan't have any emissions from our electric input. So you're doing your your bit, as it were. What, what actually got you involved in, in this project? Oh, like anybody else, I think, just a, a fear that um, we uh, are heading for a climate disaster. Need to bear in mind, uh, Steve, we are below sea level as well. Mm, so we're, yes. we're, on, we're, on, we're on the front line. Absolutely. And so you're, you're taking action in terms of electricity consumption and so on to benefit the environment. The, the benefits to that uh, from that are, are clear. But what about in terms of your business? Is, is this benefiting your business or is there a cost for doing this? Oh, I don't think there's a cost. I mean, the, the, the solar panels uh, have been nothing but positive. I know at the moment the current one is, uh, is not going to get any feed-in tariff. But it's still going to contribute enormously by substituting. Our first panels we put up in 2011, they were costing at the time £3,000 per kilowatt peak. And we got a good feed-in tariff on, on that scheme, so we were happy. The system we've just put in now is less than £600 per kilowatt peak. I mean, that's extraordinary, isn't it? We're, we're less than 20% of the cost of where we were. And with the, with the things you're doing to benefit the environment, how do you know it's working? Do you measure things? Well, we do. We do. Um, we've, we've been measuring our emissions now. Well, I've, I've looked for some factors on, online, really, just uh, from Ofgem or, or something like that, the factors for emissions per litre of diesel or per uh, kilowatt hour of electric or, or, or litre of propane. Those are the three we've been measuring most. And we've measured our output, and that's, that's a bit silly because we grow so many different crops that you, it's, it's difficult to compare a, a tonne of fennel with a tonne of sugar beet but, uh, or indeed a basket of daffodils. But over the years, our output has looked quite similar in terms of, of how it's made up. And that's been increasing. Emissions have been increasing. But our emissions per tonne have been decreasing significantly year on year, really, really quite significantly. And so, although it would be silly to quote any nu a number, um, I'm satisfied that we're going in the right direction. Diesel's the big one for us. I mean, if you, if you exclude nitrogen fertilizer, which I, I do include in, uh, uh, as well, if you, but if you exclude the nitrogen fertilizer, diesel is, uh, is about 60% of, uh, accounts for about 60% of our emissions. And that's going to be a difficult one for us to, uh, 
to grapple with because we're we're plowing you know with the minimal cultivations on our crops is not going to work so diesel is is the big one and gps helps a bit uh, this year uh, we're going to be we're going to be using a self-propelled harvester for our celeriac and that's going to that's going to do away in that operation with with four tractors which is quite exciting isn't it really four tractors so that that should have an impact as well excellent robin thank you so much for joining us on the farming program thank you thank you steve Time for a look at the markets and prices now. Good morning, Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Well, good morning, Steve. Prices continued their ascent on good global demand as importers moved to bolster their stocks, which contradicts the much-vaulted demand destruction rhetoric. Russian wheat exports accelerated after a slow start, with prices both globally and domestically falling, despite their better expectation production. This narrowed the gap against the competing origins to the extent that EU wheat is now cheaper. Prices were further supported by the USDA's quarterly US stocks report, which were both below trade expectations on wheat, maize and soybeans, which points to a better demand or a lower crop last season, or likely a combination of both. Maize prices have risen on the reduction crop prospects in the US, Ukraine and the EU, as well as concerned South American crops may be adversely affected by the El Nino weather event, which is already showing signs with dry weather in Argentina and Brazil. The UK is still assessing the crop size and quality profile as harvest finally comes to a close. It is a question of how much or what is required to the UK balance sheet in terms of supply and demand. The trade will be keenly monitoring imports for both wheat and maize while awaiting the outcome of Brexit negotiations. The AHDB cast further doubt on the UK balance sheet by reducing the 2019-2020 carryout by 1 million metric tonnes. China continues to ramp up its import programme of all grains and soybeans to the extent that the questions are being asked about how the US ports will cope logistically given the spread of products. Reports also suggest that they have bought an additional French wheat cargo this week. There are the green shoots or not of new crop weather market with the Ukraine and Russia having experienced prolonged dryness and the La Nina story now gaining traction. The weather stories could become a prominent point in the weeks to come. The renewed spike in COVID-19 cases across many countries has taken the edge off the feel-good factor that was returning to the markets, with its potential impact on movement which will be felt predominantly in the fuel industry, although there will be a reluctance to return to a full lockdown which would stall the economic recovery. Moving on to malting barley, market has remained within a tight range over the last week with the focus on execution of contracts. There has been a little bit of trade conduction with most emphasis on the nearby positions as fixings are presented to the trade. Additional samples being seen reflect the impact of the weather on the crop and the harvest as harvest has now drawn to a close. As participants focus on moving this year's crop, there has been some discussion regarding the 2021 harvest. Oilseed rate markets have been retreating in line with global route seen across the financial sector as COVID cases increase across Europe and the concern grows about the future demand destruction. Cards were marked for a benign USDA stock report with expectations for a low-level tweaking which would be largely passed by unnoticed. The reality was very different with large cuts to stock levels across the commodity groups, wheat, corn and soybeans. The sharp reduction stoked the markets overnight Wednesday with the Matif closing €4.50 higher overnight and saw limited follow-through on the trade on Thursday morning. Domestic values have not seen the same level of support in this move. Pulses 
continue to see offers of bean samples and the results are now coming back skewed towards feed qualities. However, there still does remain some highlights with some very good quality samples seen. Values continue to see more support with a number of vessels being loaded at the current time. However, forward levels are not discussed with the view that when exports have been sorted, there will be a limited homes for execution domestically. Peas have been discussed a little with samples still being looked through. Calls are being made on those and if they pass muster for human consumption, prices may be buoyant. So moving on to prices this week, feed wheat for October 178 to 180, November 180 to 182, February 182 to 184, May 183 to 185. Milling wheat premiums for group ones are currently 20 to 22 pounds. Oilseed rape for October 339 to 341, November 340 to 342, February 343 to 345, and the same for May at 343 to 345. Feed barley for October is 131 to 133, November 132 to 134, February 134 to 136, and May 135 to 137. Malting premiums are currently £10 for a max 185 nitrogen and £20 for a max 165 nitrogen. Cheers, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. The low pressure continues for a few more days with a little rain amongst the unsettled weather for the week ahead. Today, the wind will be mostly from the east or northeast, just a gentle breeze, mostly dry, but we could have some light rain through the middle of the day, highs around 15 Celsius. Some rain's expected through the early hours of Monday and the wind picks up tomorrow, veering round to the southwest. Speeds up to 20 miles per hour, gusting up to 30. Cloudy but mostly dry tomorrow, cooler with a high of 12 Celsius. Tuesday sees the start of a more settled period with light westerly winds, some sunny spells, possibly some light rain and highs of 13 Celsius. Much the same for Wednesday and the rest of the week, really. Temperatures staying around 13 Celsius during the day, but down to 6 or 7 degrees overnight. Light winds from the southwest, picking up a little on Friday, and a few showers in between the light cloud and some sunny spells. Next week on The Farming Programme, which don't forget you can listen to from 7.30 each Sunday morning on the website, the app, and your favourite podcast platform, we'll see how cow poo is fueling lorries and helping the environment. I'm Steve Orchard. In the meantime, stay safe, stay positive and have a good farming week.